Morning everyone. Please turn in your Bible to Psalm 19. There is a handout that you could follow along today if you want to. It was included in the email. Uh, maybe you've got it on a screen or you've already printed it. Uh, it's not essential, but you might find it helpful. The title that I've given to this morning's message is God's Remedy for Weary Souls. God's Remedy for Weary Souls. Now, one of my everyday dislikes is the feeling of being dehydrated. I'm sure you know that unpleasant thirst, uh, a dry mouth, a dull headache, a feeling of being disoriented, listless and tired. Even though it's not a completely debilitating thing, and I know there are far worse ailments in life, but still it hangs like a black cloud over everything else you try to do. Dehydration is just not a pleasant feeling. But there's also a much worse kind of dehydration than the physical kind. There's dehydration of a spiritual kind. Now, I'm not sure that dehydration is actually the technical term for it, but I'm talking about that feeling of being spiritually dry when our souls feel weary and listless and dull, when we feel drained of hope and joy in the Lord, when our zeal for worship and service runs low. Spiritual dehydration, for want of a better term, really does hang like a black cloud over everything else we do. It's a horrible feeling. But what should we do about it? When we're physically dry, we reach for a glass of water. We reach for our water bottle. But what should we do when we realise that we're spiritually dry? Then what should we reach for? Or to ask a better question, what does God tell us to reach for when our hearts are dry? The answer, he points us to his word. God invites us to draw near and listen to him speak to us again and again, to let his word revive our souls. But here's the thing. Sometimes when you're physically dehydrated, you actually lose your sense of thirst. And sometimes when we're spiritually dehydrated, whether through busyness, through distractions, through besetting sins or suffering, we actually lose our thirst for the very thing that in that moment we need more than anything, God's word. I read a survey recently uh, that was really what got me thinking about all of this. The survey said that as the separation from real in the flesh church life continues, as we continue to be largely separated from each other, more and more of us as Christians are struggling to motivate ourselves to spend time in God's word. I wonder if that includes you. I've noticed a number of times recently when it's certainly included me. And it got me wondering, what does God say to us in those times when we've lost our thirst for his word? And what I realised is that again and again throughout the scriptures, God's response is to entice us to entice us back to his word by reminding us of all of its benefits. Psalm 19 is just one of those many enticements. So it's going to be our focus this morning. This psalm's theme is God's revelation of himself. And it's probably a familiar psalm to many of us. It begins with the heavens declaring the glory of God. And throughout the first six verses, it celebrates how God reveals something of himself in nature, in the created world around us, in the sun and the stars above us. 
But the psalmist then goes on to celebrate how God reveals himself much more powerfully and personally in the written words of the Bible. And it's those verses that we're going to focus on this morning. God's remedy for dry and weary souls is his word, as we'll see. And his response to us when we struggle to drink from it is to remind us of all its benefits. So let's read Psalm 19 verses 7 to 10 together. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. In verses 7 to 9, the Lord gives us six parallel statements about the surpassing goodness of his word and the immeasurable good that it will do to us. Each of these six statements, you might have noticed, includes a different word, a different name for his word. Law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear of the Lord and rules. Each one includes a different adjective to describe its character. God's word is perfect and sure, right, pure, clean and true. And in five out of the six cases, there is a different verb to tell us its promised benefits. Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever. And then finally, in verse 10, the psalmist exhorts us in light of all of this, to see just how deeply desirable God's word is. So let's look at each of these in turn. First of all, God's word is perfect. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The first thing that's helpful to know here is that the word law is Torah. And it encompasses not just the specific laws that God has given, but everything that he has revealed and spoken about himself and about his people. And all that God has revealed, the psalmist tells us, is perfect. It is whole and it is complete. It is totally sufficient and lacking in nothing. You sometimes see food or health supplements being advertised as having everything you need for a healthy and balanced diet. And in their case, they're talking about your physical needs and usually they're exaggerating too. But here the psalmist tells us that the Bible really does have everything we could possibly need. It tells us all that we need to know about ourselves and about God. It is a perfect display of divine love, a perfect picture of redeeming grace. It perfectly addresses every aspect of our lives and is perfectly filled with all that we need. And therefore, it promises to revive the souls of all who drink from it. It promises spiritual refreshment. Like a glass of cool water on a baking hot summer's day, God's word is able to revive parched and weary souls. 
It renews our hearts by drawing us back into fellowship with God. Whether for the first time when it saves us or for the millionth time as it continues to sustain us. In fact, the word revive here is the same root Hebrew word translated restore in Psalm 23, where David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And according to Psalm 19 verse 7 then, God's perfect word is the primary instrument that our shepherd uses to restore and revive and refresh our souls. But that's not all. Secondly, God's word is sure. Verse 7 again, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now that word testimony reminds us that God himself has declared the words in this book. And therefore they are sure and certain, says the psalmist. They're not unstable like shifting sands, changing from page to page and day to day. In a world of uncertainty, his word is a solid foundation. It is trustworthy and proven. We can build our lives upon it and know that we will never be shaken. God's word is sure. And because it's sure, it can make wise the simple. The Hebrew word for simple here comes from the idea of an open door. It's picturing a person whose mind has been left unguarded and wide open to all kinds of error. A person who is naive or who has made themselves vulnerable to believing all sorts of things that aren't true. Our world, full of so many false ideas and untruths, is a dangerous place for the simple. But because the testimony of the Lord is sure, listening to it will make us wise. Not only guarding us from error, but making us wise for salvation, as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15. Leading us away from those things that lead to death. Making us skillful in facing the challenges of daily life. And pointing us back, time and time again, to the Saviour who alone can give true wisdom, true life and true joy in knowing and following him. God's word, writes Matthew Henry, is a sure foundation of living comforts and a sure foundation of lasting hopes. It will give us an insight into things divine and a foresight of things to come. It will employ us in the best work and secure to us our truest interests. What a wonderful gift of God the Bible is to us. But there's more. Thirdly, God's word is right. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts are like directions that you might give to someone to get them to a certain place. God's precepts are his directions for getting us to the place that he wants us to be. And because God's precepts are always right, they can steer us safely through the intricate complexities of life. His word is a faithful and trustworthy guide that directs us in the right way to go. And knowing the right way to go, the psalmist says, rejoices the heart. So many people in our world today are fearful and joyless precisely because they don't know the right way to go. They don't know where they're going. They're like drivers without a sat-nav, hikers without a map, 
They're lost in the dark and they don't have a light. But God's word tells us where we're going and how to get there. It will never lead us astray. It will never lead us down a dead end path. On the contrary, it makes known to us the path of life. Psalm 16. It makes known to us the Saviour who is the way, the truth and the life. John 14. And it promises to lead us all the way home to the Father in whose presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. At every turn, God's word is there to lead us into joy. God's word is right, rejoicing the heart. Fourthly, God's word is pure. Verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Most people, I think especially today, are drawn to the idea of living on things that are pure. Perhaps we want to breathe pure air, to drink purified water, to eat a diet of pure natural foods and so on and so on. And those are all good and healthy things. But God's word is purer. There is no purer air that you and I could breathe, no purer liquid we could drink, no purer food that we could feed upon than God's pure and unadulterated word found in the pages of the Bible. And because it's pure, verse 8 tells us, it has the effect of enlightening our eyes. How often do the eyes of your heart feel dulled and wearied by the distractions and the temptations of life in this fallen world? How often do we feel like we've lost sight of God and his goodness? God's pure word is able to restore our sight. Charles Spurgeon writes, whether the eye be dim with sorrow or with sin, the scripture is a skillful optometrist and makes the eye clear and bright. Look at the sun and it puts out your eyes, but look at the sunlight of revelation and it enlightens them. The purity of snow causes snow blindness to the alpine traveller, but the purity of God's truth has the contrary effect and cures the natural blindness of the soul. As Calvin Whitman writes, like the brilliance of the morning sun cutting through the darkness at dawn, God's word casts the darkness aside and enables us to see clearly. God's word radiates with truth and goodness. Its light brings healing to our eyes. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And ultimately it points us to Jesus, the light of the world, the true light who has come into the world to rescue us. God's word is pure. Fifthly, God's word is clean. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now here the title the psalmist uses for God's word is actually taken from one of the effects that it ought to produce in us, the fear of the Lord. The scriptures teach us to know God rightly in all of his glory and holiness. And as they do so, they also teach us how to respond to him rightly with a reverential fear of the Lord. Now, in saying that the fear of the Lord is clean, I think what the psalmist is drawing our attention to is this. That what the Bible teaches us about God and about our right response to him will never change. It's timeless. Corrupt and Unclean things decay and rot and change over time, but God is perfectly holy and 
Therefore he does not change, and neither will a right knowledge of him. There are uh, a million and one things in this world that can entertain and occupy our minds. There is so much today that we can learn, so many hobbies and skills that we can try to master. Many of them are good gifts from God as well, but none of them will endure forever. What we learn one day is often forgotten the next, or at least it is with me. The skills we might pore over and devote our attention to mastering today might be obsolete a year, maybe a decade down the line. But a right knowledge of God and a right relationship with him through Jesus, that will endure forever. Which means when we invest ourselves in getting to know God better through his word, when we seek to grow in the knowledge and fear of the Lord, that is an investment in eternity. That is something that will last forever. And so time spent with God in his word is one of the best ways of all to invest at least some portion of our daily lives. We cannot invest our time more wisely. Sixthly and finally, God's word is true. Right now, our culture is morally at sea. It's not just that people don't know how to distinguish right from wrong. They want to decide it for themselves. And they want to keep on changing their minds as well. It doesn't take long to realise that the world is drowning in a sea of moral confusion. Which is why the second half of verse 9 shines out like a lighthouse above the storm. The rules of the Lord are true, verse 9, and righteous altogether. That word rules specifically refers to God's moral judgments and decisions about what constitutes good and evil, right and wrong behaviour. And God's rules are true. Meaning that when God declares that certain things are good and right and others are wrong and evil, he's not just plucking rules out of the air at random. He's not making them up on a whim because his words, his rules, are always in accordance with what is true and holy. Always in accordance with his perfect character. They are righteous altogether. And so... Though it's not spelled out here explicitly, this means that God's word can be relied upon in a world of uncertainty as our true guide to lift our heads above the fog of moral confusion. Perhaps as you've listened in on the conversations and the protests and the debates that have been taking place across much of the Western world recently, massive clashes of opinion about justice, fairness, sexual ethics and racial harmony, and so much more, perhaps you felt more and more confused about what is right and good and true. Perhaps you've even begun to doubt if what you thought was true is true and you don't know where to turn. Listen to God's promise to you this morning. He says, my word is true. My word is true. It is sure and it is certain. It is righteous through and through. And so you can look to it to distinguish good and evil, to learn what's right and good. It's so easy to lose hours or days or even months uh, watching video after video about these issues on YouTube, scouring all kinds of Twitter feeds, buying and reading all of the hot topic books. But five minutes in God's word far outweighs them all in teaching us what's true and what's good. More importantly, 
Only God's word can be relied upon to shine a spotlight on our own faults and sins, leading us to fresh repentance and faith in Jesus and to a truly transformed life through him. God's word is true and righteous. And there we have it, six profound truths about God's word and six life-changing benefits that he promises to work in us through it. But how should we respond? The psalmist's answer is in verse 10 and it's quite simple. How should we respond? Make God's word your treasure. Verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Take all the wealth and all the material things you own. Take every treasure you've ever dreamt of possessing. God's, worth, God's word is worth more, says the psalmist, much more. However eagerly we see others spending their efforts on seeking earthly riches, we Christians should spend our efforts with even greater eagerness on seeking out the spiritual riches that God has laid up for us in his word. God's living word is far more valuable than all earthly treasures. And it is also, the psalmist tells us, far more desirable than all earthly pleasures. Because he says it is sweeter to the soul than honey is to the lips. Now I'm sure you're familiar with Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Winnie the Pooh's greatest pleasure is found in his honey pot. And if you read the stories, you'll know that there's nothing Pooh Bear won't do to find and eat more honey. But Christians have been given something so much better than a big honey pot. God's word is far sweeter than honey, says the psalmist. Feasting on God's word promises far greater satisfaction and pleasure, far more enrichment to our souls than any earthly pleasure. Just think right now of, of an earthly pleasure that you enjoy. No matter what it is, however good a gift from God it is, God's word is better. Now think of some of those specific pleasures that often keep you and I from actually feeding on God's word more often. Maybe it's the comfort of our beds, the lure of browsing on our phones, the glow of the television or even the excitement of other good books. The psalmist's response, God's word is better, far better. It's more priceless than gold. It's sweeter than honey. And the reason he's so sure of this, the reason that we can be so sure is because of all the things that he's just listed. Because of all the things that God's word is and does. Because of all the Bible's divine endorsements. I don't know about you, but I like to read the endorsements on book covers. A lot, of these, a lot of books these days come with endorsements, don't they, on the front or on the back to draw people in and entice them. They say things like, this book is the best. This book will change your life forever. This book made me so happy. And it can be helpful to find out what other people think about a book before you spend money on it or invest time in it. But those endorsements are nothing compared to the ones that God himself writes about the Bible. Psalm 19 is just one collection of those divine endorsements. Uh, if it was written in summary form, maybe written even actually on the cover of your Bible, if you can imagine that, here is what it would say. You hold in your hands a book like no other. 
one that on every page is perfect and sure, right and pure, clean and true and righteous altogether. It will revive you and refresh you. It will make you wise, give you joy and light and teach you how to enjoy God forever. The words of this book are worth more than any other treasure and they will prove to be sweeter to your soul than any other pleasure. Now, maybe we should write that on the cover of our Bibles later on, I don't know, but just imagine a book like that on Amazon or in Waterstones with proven endorsements like that on the cover. Surely it would fly off of the shelves. But we already have that book in our hands and in our homes, on our shelves and on our phones. I started off this morning by talking about spiritual dehydration. Those times when we feel a weariness of soul and perhaps even a loss of thirst for God's word. And that perhaps more of us than ever have been finding ourselves there recently. If that's where you are right now, I trust that you've heard the Lord himself this morning speaking through the words of Psalm 19 to you inviting you to draw near to him and delight in his word once again. Not scolding you, but enticing you with promise after promise to make his word your treasure. It's not a, it's not a call to duty, to do something for God. It's an invitation to come and sit again at his feet and ask him to do something th- through his word for you, to revive your soul, to make you wise, to rejoice your heart, to enlighten your eyes, to teach you more of the fear of the Lord. It's an invitation to us all to be more like Mary, who in Luke chapter 10 chose the better portion when she decided to simply sit and listen to the living words of Jesus. Let's pray.